If you'd like to turn uh, to Genesis in your Bibles, we're going to read our passage for this morning from Genesis 2. And I'm reading from verse 4 through to verse 20. Genesis 2, 4 to 20. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and the wild animals But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Let's pray again, shall we? Lord, we ask for your help as we come to your word. We thank you that your word is clear. We thank you that every single word of it is from you, the living God, to us. And we praise you for that and ask that we will hear clearly what you have to say to us through your word this morning. That you will be glorified. That the Holy Spirit will be pleased. That the Lord Jesus will be lifted up. And that we will be changed. We ask this again in his name. Amen. Uh, Now, I don't know what your experience of uh, work is. Some of you have had lots of jobs over the years. Some of you, you're relatively new to it. Some of you haven't had your first proper job yet. Um, I remember my first kind of proper job when I I left college. And uh, I I wasn't mad on it. I wasn't cut out for it, really. Um, I didn't like the job. I wasn't the right sort of person for the job. Um, and, I, and, I, and to be fair, I'd had some, I've had some fairly ropey jobs over the years. So at one point, I, um, I worked for Cath's dad. I actually got frozen into a blast freezer at one point, so that might have been the end of me. So, but here I am, I survived. I was packing frozen food for Cath's dad. But you know, even that job, I quite enjoyed before I got f- 
frozen into the blast freezer. But this particular job, my first proper job, it was with, well, I won't say actually, just in case. It was with a financial organisation that may not even exist anymore. It was based in Cardiff. It was a sales job, and it was a sort of sales that I really am not cut out for, and I didn't enjoy it. I wasn't the right sort of person. I, I don't know if I shared this before I got the, the job here in the bridge. Maybe I should have done, but I actually, I kind of got the sack from that job. Um, well, technically, I didn't have the sack. My, my boss said he was going to sack me, and, and HR let me quit before I sacked. But it was, it was that bad. And part of the problem was, first of all, I wasn't really cut out for it. And secondly, the job description didn't match the reality. When I, when I read the job description, when I went for the interview and tried to show who I'd fit with the job description, when I walked through the doors on the first day of the first week of that job, it was quite obvious straight away that the job description didn't describe reality. And that was a problem because I didn't fit, because I didn't know where I was at, and it just didn't work. It's always helpful. It's always vital, I think, you can argue, for most jobs, isn't it, to have a good job description. And here's the thing. Ours as human beings is here in this text. If you want to know what your job description is as a human being, here it is in Genesis chapter 2. There's kind of a we get a bit of a, a, a divine person spec. I don't know if my terminology is up to date here, but you know, there's usually a person spec that goes as part of a job description. Is a, Here's the sort of person we're looking for. And then the job description is here's the actual job. And I think we get that here. We get a bit of a person spec and then we get a job description for humanity. We're entering a new section in Genesis here, linked wonderfully to what we've seen already. But from chapter 2, verse 4 onwards, we know we've got a new section because we read this phrase that crops up again and again in Genesis... This is the account of the heavens and the earth. Literally, these are the generations of the heaven and the earth. So here's the first these are the generations of in Genesis. And we keep getting them in different parts of the family tree as we go through. Here's the first one. And because we're entering this new section, we can see why we're starting to slow down and zoom in. So we've seen the grand sweep of creation over those, those, those six days previously. Everything has just been created. Heaven and earth and time and space and energy and, and us. And now in chapter 2, it's almost like God, as he speaks to Moses, said, hang on, take a step back, slow down, zoom in on the creation of humankind because I want to show you more about who you are as humans. And this is showing us what human life was like before humanity rebelled against God, before what we call the fall. Before that disaster, we're being shown how wonderful the world was for humanity. And this gear change, as we slow down and zoom in, it's marked by a new name. You, you might have picked up on it in the way that the, sound, uh, the text sounds. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And we start to hear this phrase, the Lord God, the Lord God, or just Lord in small capital letters. You don't get that in Genesis chapter 1. Do you remember we saw in chapter 1 of Genesis that God is Elohim? That's the word for God as creator. But now when we get to chapter 2 of Genesis and onwards, he becomes Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God. Because that's the name, Yahweh, that God gives to show when he's in relationship, covenant relationship with People. So as he's zooming in on humanity now, he uses this name, Yahweh, to describe who he is. He's a relational God. The God we've been seeing so far in Genesis is the great creator, but he didn't stop there. He's a God who wants relationship, and especially with human beings. And what does the covenant God, Yahweh, do right at the outset? As soon as we see that he's created humanity, what does he do? 
He plants a garden. I mean, if I was writing the story, I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd expect that. That's not what I'd be expecting next. He plants a garden in which to plant Adam. So we read that Adam is made, and then literally, we read pretty much literally, Adam is made and he is planted in Eden. He is placed in the garden. No cultivated plants yet. There are plants and trees have been created, but there are no cultivated plants yet growing. No shrub had yet appeared on the earth, no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. So plants existed, but not cultivated plants that were best for eating and best for food and best for Adam. So God plants a garden, and then he puts Adam, the gardener, in the garden. And did you notice from the terminology here, we sometimes talk about the Garden of Eden as as if the garden equals Eden. But actually, Eden seems to be the the general area and the the garden seems to be a part of Eden that God makes this wonderful garden. I think we might have a map um, to show us where scholars think possibly Eden was. Obviously, we can't be sure. You can't see the colours, unfortunately. But you might see bottom right, there's an Eden question mark. Top left, there's an Eden question mark. Because we know that they had, Eden must have been in proximity to both Euphrates and the Tigris River. The other rivers mentioned, we don't know where they were, but we know where they are, so probably it's one of those locations. But it's, it was real. This is a real place where God makes a garden and puts Adam. And, and Eden's a paradise. That's what the word means. Eden means paradise or delight. So Eden, picture that your most favourite place in the world. Um, the most beautiful place you can think of that you've been. Or maybe it's on your desktop and you want to go there one day. You know, picture that. Eden, just put that in the shade. Eden was a place of stunning beauty beyond anything that we've ever seen. Beautiful trees. By the way, trees are going to be important further on. Rivers running through it. Rivers are going to be important too. Precious metals like gold and stones like onyx. These aren't just incidental details. They will become really important shortly as well. It was a delightful paradise, but it needed someone to tend it. It needed someone to look after it. And here's where we get to Adam and his person spec and his job description. Can I just briefly say a couple of things I'm not going to spend time on this morning, but will be picked up in the podcast and in future sermons. Um, The two trees here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, they are so important in the story. We will come back to them. Suffice it to say for now that the one, the tree of life, is about a joyous and full relationship with God. And the other one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is about choice. Will Adam trust and obey the God who's made him? Of course, we know what happens if we know the story. But that's what those two trees basically represent. The other thing I should say, which is a major omission, but it's deliberate because we're coming back to this next week, is as I'm talking this morning, you will notice that there is someone missing. Chapter 1, we saw, from Dave showed us how it shows what the image of God is. That we as human beings are created to reflect God. We're created in his image. And we're created male and female in his image. And there isn't any female yet. But she's coming. More on that next time. So those are two pretty important things we're skipping over this morning. To focus on the job description of Adam. But I, I must say this also. It's not just the job description of Adam. It's the job description that Eve will join him in. It's the job description that we all have as human beings. So let's take a look at it, shall we? Let's start with a person spec, part of the job description, so to speak. The first thing we see about Adam here is that Adam is made of both the ground and glory. He's made of the ground and he's made of glory. Or if you want to put it another way, he's made of both the dust and the divine. 
This is the sort of person, these are the qualities the person needs to do the job that God is giving him, giving them to do. As we see how how God describes his creation to Moses, we learn so much about Adam and ourselves, don't we? He's made from the dust to be placed in Eden. There's a lovely word play here. When we read, um, the Lord God had not yet, yet sent rain on the earth, but, and there was no one to work the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He formed the man from the dust of the ground. It doesn't sound much like a wordplay in English, does it? But in the Hebrew, it's that he formed an Adam from the dust of the Adama. He formed the man from the dust of the ground. Adam sounds almost exactly like ground. Human beings, essentially, physically speaking, are made from the ground. They're made from the dust. This Adam, who's created here in Genesis 2, is a creature made by a glorious creator. To understand the Bible and the world and the gospel right, we have to remember that this is what we are. That there is a vast gulf between who God is in his godness, the creator God, and who we are. Wonderfully, we reflect him and we're like him in all sorts of important ways, but there is this vast gulf. He is God and we are not. He is the creator and we are creatures. He is eternal. As we saw at the start, he is self-existent. He exists because he exists. He is holy, 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 and we are dust made of the common ground. So we're made of dust. We're made of the ground. Uh, And yet, there's something else to say about Adam here, isn't there? He's not only made of the ground. Adam is made of the divine breath. There is something glorious and different about him compared to everything else in the universe. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. That word formed, that he formed Adam, it's a lovely word. It's the word used of an artist, of a craftsman, of a potter. God took care of how he formed Adam from the ground and part of that taking care was that he breathed into him his own life. You know, it's true that since Human beings have rebelled against God and fallen into sin. We've become flawed in so many ways, but nothing can obscure the perfection of the original design. Nothing can totally efface the image of God in us. This care with which God has made us, and with which God has made us, as we saw back in chapter 1, verse 27, male and female. Male and female to image him. To deny any of this is to deny that God knew what he was doing. To deny that a carefully created and artfully shaped maleness and femaleness are part of what we are is to deny the image of God in us. God knew exactly what he was doing when he made humanity in his image. There there were no flaws in the blueprint. Nothing that we have to make up for as modern man. The blueprint and the design and the making were perfect. Our job description, which we're going to start see taking shape now as we go through, if I can sum it up this way, trying to sum up what we've seen in previous weeks and what we're seeing this morning so far is this. Our calling is to live in God's world, in God's way, as God made us. 
I think that sums up what we've seen so far in Genesis. To live in God's world, God's way, as God made us. And he made us awesome. We are an awesome creation. Well, you, you, might, you might be thinking, yeah, well, so is a shark or the Great Barrier Reef or an oak tree or an ape. Yes. Uh, but God breathes into Adam, as one commentator puts it, with the face-to-face intimacy of a kiss. This is the massive difference between us and the other creatures. So you see the picture? Yes, there's this massive gulf between God and us. But there's also, in another sense, a massive gulf between us and the other creatures, wonderful as they are. Because we have the breath of God in us. We are not mere creatures. We are made to resemble God. And the supernatural ingredient to that resemblance is that we have his breath in us. A breath that should be precious. Human beings are inestimably valuable because God has made them so. We are to live in God's world, in God's way, as God has made us. So that's the person spec, if you like. Now let's get into the job description more, more detail. What else is there here? Well, I think the second thing we see here as we get into the job description is that Adam is made for creation's care. That's our second point. Adam was made to care for creation, to lovingly fill and subdue and rule the world on God's behalf. That's what we saw in Genesis chapter 1. And part of filling and subduing and ruling the earth will involve working the ground. This is Adam's role. This is Adam's job. This is, this is a good thing that God gives to Adam. I mean, we can, we can too easily fall into thinking, depending on how our work is going for us, that work is pretty much a cursed condition. You know, even if you like your job sometimes, you don't look forward to it. It, it just feels hard. This is, but this, this hardness of work is part of man's rebellion against God. Before Adam and Eve rebelled against God, work was a good thing. And this is the work that God gives to Adam. This is what ruling like God and for God looks like. Not exploitation, not ruling creation with a heavy hand, but caring for creation. Here we see the role of Adam and Eve and us in God's original good purposes is to be stewards, is to be caretakers. Not not just of Eden, but actually of the world beyond it. If you look at chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the ground. The picture seems to be that God creates Adam and Eve will join him in this to look after Eden, but also to spread that care into the whole of creation. So the garden where they start to grow cultivated plants the picture seems to be that it wasn't meant to just stop in Eden but eventually it would spread beyond Eden his job her job their job would be to care for creation and even before the fall into sin it's obvious that part of that care of creation means looking after and being responsible for the animals verses 19 and 20 say the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky he brought them to the man to see what he would name them And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and the wild animals. God saying to Adam, I've created these creatures and I've created them lovingly. And now you are to lovingly care for them, look after them. And the sign of that is you to name them. And by naming them, you have authority over them to care for them well. But even after the fall into sin, in the law of Moses... there's some some wonderful literature on this that I'll mention in the podcast. Jonathan Thomas talked about it. 
in the podcast we did with him recently on creation care. Even after the fall into sin in the law of Moses, you see that God cares about the creatures, about the animals, about all of creation, not just humanity. There are rules about animals and fields and trees to be provided for and to be cared for. Trees were not randomly and wantonly to be cut down. Rest was commanded, not just for human beings, but for the animals. Adequate food was mandated for the ox. You had to feed your ox enough. There were even provisions made that when you did slaughter an animal, you did it in a certain way. Because God cares about the animals and gave the animals into the care of Adam and Eve. Creation care is not a modern or an unspiritual concern. It's what we were placed here for. And part of what it means to be God's image bearers. You know, it's, it's possible to oversimplify and to kind of warp the Bible's message. By thinking something like this, we we can start to think this way. Well, the world is literally going to hell in a handcart and we will be remade, that the world will be remade by God on judgment day when Jesus returns anyway. So we don't need to worry too much about the environment because this environment, yes, it's struggling, but it will be renewed one day and I think Jesus is coming back next week anyway. You heard that sort of reasoning? then we can too easily fall into that yes Jesus is coming back one day yes Jesus will renew creation but our role as human beings from Adam and Eve onwards and through to us today is to care for the creation he has given us it's true that our core mission as the church is to share the good news about Jesus and to rescue the perishing that's the main thing the church is here for but we as human beings are put on earth to care for it on God's behalf and for his glory, and that has not been changed. We as Christians are, have been and are being remade in the image of God, right? And the image of God means that we care for creation. So let's not put this right down at the bottom of the list or, or scratch it off our list altogether. We are called as human beings to care for creation, and as Christians we should therefore care about creation more than any other human beings. Not to panic about it, not to be fearful, but to care for what God has given us. So we're seeing, aren't we, that we are called to be in God's world, in God's way, as God made us. And what we're starting to see as, as well is that we are made to live to God's glory. In God's world, in God's way, as God's made us, and to God's glory. And creation care is part of that. We as Christians shouldn't be consumerists, mere consumers. We, we should care about the supply chain. I've been challenged on this recently myself for the sake of our neighbour and for the sake of the animals in our care, even indirectly in our care. And you would just, just read up a bit about factory farming across the world. And this would show you why we should care about how animals suffer or don't suffer as they're raised. We should care about how our chicken is bred before it gets to our table, where our coffee is grown. We should care about what we buy, what we eat what we drive it really does matter it's all part of preparing for our eternal stewardship of the new creation as we show we want to care for this creation now so you see in the job description building we're to live in god's world in his way as he made us for his glory and here's where we get to the third part the next bit of the job description adam is made point three to be a priest to god's glory Adam is made to be a priest to God's glory. Yeah, see, I wouldn't want to play you a lot in poker because I was just looking around just to see how you reacted to that, that heading to see if there were any confused faces or smiley faces and you were all just completely blank so I've got no idea what you were thinking. 
But did you start thinking, I wonder, really? A priest? God's glory, yeah, I can see that bit. A priest, Matt, you are reading into the text there. Surely Adam isn't a priest. Well, I'll admit that the most immediate impression when you read Genesis 2 is that Adam is to care for a garden. Because that's the charge that God gives him. He's a gardener just like Yahweh Elohim is a gardener. It's wonderful. But it's worth the luxury of a little pause here to basically stop for a second and zoom back out a little bit in order to consider how would the people of Israel at Sinai and on the edge of the promised land, because that's who got received Genesis for the first time, right? The people of Israel at Sinai and on the borders of the promised land. How would they have heard this and understood it? Always important to ask that question to get it in context, isn't it? How would they have picked out on some of the details in this text, especially as they're hearing it in Hebrew, of course, and we're not this morning. This is why I flagged up some of the key words right at the start, because they're so important if you're an Israelite in, at Sinai. Here they are in the wilderness, having received God's words, and per God's detailed instructions, you know, a lot of you will know about this, they built a tabernacle. They built a, a, a tent, basically, where Moses could meet with God in God's special presence in the midst of the tabernacle. They made this tabernacle that would later become the temple once they were settled in the promised land. And the tabernacle was the focus of their worship. So listen up for the parallels. I think they're going to be on screen behind me, actually, in a second. So you don't lose track. But listen to the text as well. Look at the text. Look for the parallels between what we read in Genesis 2 about the Garden of Eden and what we later see about the tabernacle and the temple and the worship of the people of Israel. For a start, the tabernacle and the temple faced east. And we're told that God created Adam and placed him east in Eden. Later on in chapter 3, when we read that Adam and Eve um, have rebelled against God and they're expelled from the garden and the cherubim are placed outside the garden, they're placed on the east side. The entrance to Eden was on the east and the entrance to the temple was on the east. Moses and the high priest would meet with God in the, in the centre of the temple, the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. And that was the place where God walked in the midst of the camp. We're told that in Deuteronomy 23, for example. But we also read in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve have sinned, who do they come across? God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God walked in Eden and in the Garden of Eden. He walked at the centre of his creation. His, his presence was there. Adam and Eve were in his presence, just like Moses and the high priest were in God's presence in the Holy of Holies where God walked. Right outside of the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle and later the temple, in the holy place, there was a lampstand. And the lampstand was shaped to resemble an almond tree with seven branches. So you've got the presence of God in the centre of the temple with a lampstand right outside that looks like a tree. It's designed to look like a tree. And what have we got in Eden? God's presence in the centre of Eden, in the garden, and there in the midst of the garden, two trees. A tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. I'm sure the lampstand is meant to represent the tree of life. The later temple, by the way, once the people settled in the land, would have wood carvings giving a garden-like atmosphere. You can read about that in 1 Kings verse, uh, chapter 6, for example. So it, the, the temple in, in Jerusalem was garden-like in its interior. In that tabernacle, the priests and the Levites would work in and take care of the tabernacle. Do you catch those phrases? Look at verse 15, Genesis 2. Work it and take care of it. 
Those words are used in Numbers 3 and other places to describe what the priests and the Levites did in the holy place of the temple. When used together, those words, Hebrew words, work and take care, always speak either of Israel serving under and guarding God's word or, very often, of the priests serving and guarding in the temple. You see the picture? I know we need help from the Hebrew scholars, but if you're an Israelite in the land, hearing this in Hebrew, you'd have picked up on all these connections. Let me just give you a few more. They, they, They would go, the priests would go into the holy place in the presence of the beautiful furnishings <coughs> furnishings of gold gold's in the text here right for a reason and precious stones including the high priest who would go into the holy of holies with amongst other things onyx stones on his breastplate onyx is I mean why else is onyx why onyx in particular why is that mentioned in genesis 2 whole host of precious stones and metals could be mentioned but no gold and onyx You see the parallels you'd have heard as an Israelite? These should be sounding familiar. They would have done to an Israelite. The garden and Eden would have started to sound to them very much like the tabernacle and later the temple. To later Israel, the wider details of Eden and its surroundings would have confirmed this identification. Eden seems to be on a mountaintop. A river flowed from Eden. And it only flows from a mountaintop. And the temple would be on Mount Zion. The presence of a river is a parallel too. In Ezekiel, which describes the end time temple, it's described with reference to a river running through it. And you can find this in Revelation 21 and 22, by the way, if you want to look at it from a New Testament perspective. The, the new creation is, designed as a, is described as a temple, which is also a city, which is also like a garden with a river running through it. See the picture? Old creation, original creation, new creation, Sounds a lot like a temple and a garden. And the temple and the tabernacle sound a lot like the Garden of Eden. There's a picture being painted by God here. The world God has made is mirrored in the tabernacle and the temple. And that's no coincidence because the tabernacle and later the temple was like God's creation in miniature because God's creation was a temple. The people of Israel were meant to see that Adam was not only a gardener, But Adam's stewardship and Eve's stewardship was the stewardship of priests ministering in the presence of God. That's what the priests and the Levites did in the temple. They got to go into the very presence of God to worship him and to help the people worship. To take God's glory out into the camp and out into the world. That was the the priests and the Levites' role. That was Adam and Eve's role. We are meant... To joyfully serve God in his very presence. Proclaiming and spreading the reality of God's beauty and glory to the world around us. To put it another way, we are made to be priests. That's that's New Testament language. The New Testament speaks this way. Why don't you turn with me to um, 1 Peter. Chapter 2. I'll just read a couple of uh, key verses. I'll read verses 5 and 9. Speaking to the new covenant church, speaking to us, Peter says this. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then verse 9, one of my favourite verses, incidentally, in the New Testament. But you, church, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. 
a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Adam was made to be a priest, to be in God's presence and then to spread and to declare his glory to all creation, to declare the excellencies of God. That is what he was made for. And that is what we as human beings are made for. And we as Christians through faith in Christ are being made back into that image. And this is one of the reasons that the church is described as a priesthood. So priests are not just particular people ordained in particular churches. If you're a Christian, if you trust in Christ, you're a priest like Adam before you. Now, of course, you might be thinking that's not what the world currently looks like. Adam and Eve and we have ruined this role, haven't we, of being priests in God's presence. We've been, we've been thrust out of God's presence because of our sin and our rebellion against God. We've denied that stewardship that Adam was given through our rebellion. But... But because another Adam, a better Adam, a better priest has come to fix what is broken, to purify what has been defiled, to make new what has been corrupted, we who believe in Jesus can now be this kingdom of priests, restored to Adam's priesthood, called out of darkness into God's marvellous light to declare his praises. Listen to these words in 1 Corinthians 15. And verse 45. And here Paul's talking about the resurrection body, the new creation, what's coming for believers. And he says this. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. There's another Adam. There's a second Adam. The last Adam, Jesus. And in him, through faith in him, we are restored to this priesthood. The cosmic temple, if I could put it that way, of Eden and the world that God created that was perfectly good will be restored. It'll be as it was at the time of Adam's innocence, but even better. And this is our job description for eternity. Seen in Adam before his rebellion, the job description that is restored in Jesus, our great high priest, the last Adam. See what we said in previous weeks, can't you, Dave and I, that the first three chapters of Genesis are like the Bible in miniature. You've got the Bible in miniature right in these first three chapters. This is what the world was meant to be. This is how mankind have messed it up. And this is how God will remake it and make it right again. And in the meantime, imperfect as we are, we are like Adam and Eve, priests, saved to worship God and declare his praises. This is what the church fundamentally is or to put it another way we as that gathering of priests are the beginnings of the new creation it's begun the new creation has begun if you want to see where look around you the new creation has begun in the church as we have been made a kingdom of priests we are part of a massive story, the greatest and realest story ever told and lived. And here, church, Bridge Church, you can see your vocation as the people of God, made from dust and glory to bring God's glory as stewards and priests. And our calling is to go forth and live like this. The job description of humanity is ultimately fulfilled in the church through what Jesus has done. So before you are a... 
and I could go through a huge list here. Let me just give you a sample. Before you are a doctor, a mum, a dad, a nurse, or an architect, or a pastor, or a student, or a lawyer, or an uncle, or an aunt, or a friend, or a disciple, or an elder, or fill in the gap. Before you are any of those things, you are a priest in God's temple. Your day job nine to five, and in your off time is all ultimately part of your priestly and joyful duty of worship to declare God's praises until that day the whole earth is his temple for his glory. We are called to live in God's world, in God's way, as he made us for his glory. And we get to do that today and this week and until we see him face to face. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the wonderful richness of your word. Um, Thank you that right from the very beginning it shows us not only the disaster that came into creation because of our sin, but what you would do to put that right. Thank you that it shows us, Lord, that the future we have in Jesus is like the paradise of Eden where Adam was in your uninterrupted and fully joyful presence, and yet the future will be even better than that because of all that Jesus, our great high priest, has done. Help us to see all that we do, all that we live this week, whether it's in our paid job or at home, with the children, with our families, in our interactions with our neighbours, with our friends, that we are priests called to worship you in your presence and declare your praises and excellencies to a world that needs you. Give us this heart desire to live out this glorious job description, we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen.